Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Uh, I rarely have people on a second time, but uh, Lewis Black is, his stature's only grown in my mind. A total, uh, always been a legend, one of our smartest comedians and commentators on what the fuck is going on in the world. And Lewis, you know what's so great? Is like so much of the special, the subtext, there's lots of subtext running through. The new special is Tragically I Need You, coming out May 2nd. So there's lots of subtext running through it. I'm going to ask you about lots of it. But one thing is that we feel like we, as a culture, don't even bother making the minimum fucking effort. No, and we give it up. It's like, uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, we don't want to even make the smallest. And so you get rewarded now. One gets rewarded for making the minimal effort because I've seen this with people in the pocket. I watched the whole fucking special before having you on, man. Because I did the minimum you're supposed to do, which is, and I, I think that will separate me from 80% of the people you end up talking to on the promo tour. Well, I know. well it's also amazing on the promo tour or, or what you do now when you do interviews a lot of the time, especially radio, uh, some, and what's left of newspapers is that they, uh, they haven't even read the Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and it's kind of like after, you know, it's I've been doing it 40 years, 30, 40 years. And you, they go, uh, and when did you decide to get into comedy? It's and why did you decide? It's like, seriously, guys, I'm not, you know, it's I get it when I'm when I'm 40. But now I love the one where because I get interviewed when the next season of my show is coming on or whatever, whatever the thing is. And my pet peeve is when they'd say, and I can imagine to you. Why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> Do that. They've never done that to me. They, they're not. That's, wow. That's a fact. You know, tell us who you are. It's like, you fucking asked me to be here. Are you serious? They actually. And you got to go, well, I'm uh, Brian. I, I make this show with my partner, Billions. And yeah, yeah, you feel like such a, to just get you right away. Wow. I, I've never had that. I guess they're afraid that what, I would just never stop talking. I would just never give them a moment to ask a question. You would just go. You're right. If you had digit- So, all right. The George Carlin is incredibly strong in you in this new special. Oh, thanks. Uh, well, yeah, man. I mean, I saw Carlin a bunch of times as a kid and, and even in college. And this will be the only real straight praise. But I watching this, this special, Lewis, it reminded me of that story that Springsteen tells when he's driving around after 9-11 and the kid stops him and says, we need you, Bruce. And then he went and made the record. And I really didn't know how much I needed to hear your take on this. And I, 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 I want to ask if, how you thought about the moment. Because finding a perspective on something everybody has gone through and then feeling like you really do have something to say that shines a different light on it, I would have to think just as a writer, yeah, it's what we do, but also it's hard to really shut all the noise out. So how did you think about this moment and deciding, fuck it, I'm just going to really do this thing? Well, it was partly, I mean, a lot, well, a lot of it was the fact that I, when I went back on the road, I just started from, I, I really didn't know. I was, first off, I was in a state of shock about people. You know, my, my initial thing was, okay, they're going to come up with a vaccine and why wouldn't everybody take it? I mean, there was not even a, I was completely clueless to the fact that people would get up in arms about it. It just never I knew there'd be some backlash. I get that, you know, and the people being upset about it, but not the overwhelming. And that, and it was that thing of, you know, I, I just, you know, so I, I, um, so a lot of what I had to was going through was like just shock. I mean, I turned the TV on and just went into shock. And then there was a ton of, you know, the Black Lives Matter, all of that stuff. And now we're going to go back in history. We're going to erase history. It all started then, you know, we, we got now that we got the time on our hands, we're just getting rid of all this. And then the woke side was coming in with their their nonsense. So the between both of them, I, I was like literally the only thing that I, that I knew was going on was what was happening to me in terms of dealing with this. And I just started to talk about it on stage, about what it was like, because I went into I went into a I was locked down for 10 weeks. I went into solitary confinement yeah. and it made me psychotic and I'm still kind of recovering from it. And I started talking about that on stage and that was the beginning of it. 
Well, yeah, I loved your deconstruction of how the brain works in solitary confinement. And I have a lot of questions about it. Like, I mean, the four days, you know, I don't want to, it's, it's, I'll say it's hard when you've, I've seen this special. I don't want to spoil it, right? Because the surprise of it. But I will say, you talk about the way the brain operates when you are left alone. And I, I was reminded this is an incredible Stephen King short story from the old days called The Jaunt about a trip where they, they knock you out so you can go at light speed. But if you're awake, your brain has to go through the thousand years. It's an amazing, yeah. if you don't know that story, you would like it. You'd fold it in. I think you'd like it. If, yeah. uh, worth reading. But I was reminded of that because it's this question of when a brain turns um, on itself. So I, 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 when something like that's happening to you, at what point do you as an art shift into the, the mode of the artist thinking about it and noticing it and then realizing there's a narrative in it? Like that happens and you describe four days and then a shift. When in that period are you starting to jot notes down for yourself? I, I, I not it just uh, um, it was it was after the after the ten weeks. I mean, but during the ten weeks, I I I got a grip on it, and then it was really literally a lot of it wasn't writing it down because I knew what it was. It was the experience was so intense that I just went and and, and what was the shocker, to be honest. Because the, there's the bit where I kind of do what the brain does. I'm the brain talking to myself. And uh, I, the first time I did it, I got a huge laugh. And I was like, and I literally was like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? Because I was doing it just as one of these. I don't really, I don't expect to laugh. I don't expect anything. And I expect people to be kind of appalled. And everybody, everybody got it. And when everybody got it, going back to you, you know, um, you know, this it, it coming out of there and, and this being what I was going to talk about. When everybody got that, I went, I can talk about this. They all get the joke. The, at least my audience gets it. And I can talk about this. And then everything came from around it. I mean, I'd been talking the other things, bits and pieces, but now I could commit to the other things that I was t talking about. Yeah, but I'm really interested in this thing you just said, my audience, because you very clearly in the new show throughout it, you know, right at the beginning, but then there's that amazing moment with the masks where you challenge your audience to acknowledge that during this time, even they've splintered a little bit. Yeah. And right? So I'm I'm because obviously yeah. it seems to me you must have realized, oh. Some people have gone so far out on the fringe that I'm, you know, the Daily Show fringe uh, audience, which I'm a member of, obviously. But now they've some of them are going to be mad at me if I even say Trump quickly got the vaccine going. And then on the other hand, you know, there are some people who are in your audience who've watched you for years and agreed with you and who feel their liberty was taken away by. And, and so I wonder how this made you think differently about your audience than you did before. I just realized there was a different, I returned to a different balancing act because it was not the act I was, I mean, the balance of that, of them was different. And for a while it kind of, um, before the, the, before the special, just, I just went, okay, I'm committed to this. And this is the, the, what I'm going to do. Um, but before that was just that kind of non, just kind of like, Oh, 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 you know, you know, it was like going back and forth. And then, and I can't, I would, I would snap. I have a tendency is, you know, snap on stage, you know, like, uh, like just when we, before we were, when we started talking, you know, they're fucking following. He, they literally had a half hour discussion of his route downtown. I mean, which route he would take. And so I started yelling about that at you. And I would do that on stage and I'd go in, in about something that was happening either with him or people out, you know, the QAnon or whatever it was. And then I went and it might, I've, I've gone too far. And I would have to go, I can't, no, I'm not, that's not going to be. And I'd have to turn to the audience and go, I've gone too far. That won't, you won't hear that again. That is too much. That even I know that's too much. You mean where you felt like you'd gone outside of the bounds even that you were comfortable with or that you felt your people hadn't gotten there yet? Like, because you'd seen to the other side of it, 
and you didn't want to present it because you're comfortable challenging your audience. Oh, I am, but I but there's a point where you when when it, there's a kind of a playing anger that you, it, you in terms of entertainment, it, yes. and you know you know from writing, there's a, you kind of can go up to the slide. If you cross that line, it's like you're you're sticking your finger up their butts. You can't do that. You know, you can kind of tickle around it, but you can't, you know, really just drive it home. And I, and I, and, and every so often I'll find myself crossing that line and I kind of, and you can, and you can sense in the audience, there's this kind of like, Oh, <laughs> you know, because I'm there in the end to entertain them uh, in, no matter what. Well, and yes. And it's, that. it's incredibly entertaining to me. I just want to say, if any of my audience is thinking that they're going to get a tame blue is black, uh, there is uh, his version of, say, uh, the Ginger Baker drum solo at the center of this is um, a riff about bat fucking. So don't worry. It's not as though it's not as though the line he's drawing. I mean, it's about people fucking fucking bats. So I would I would just don't worry. It's still going to you know, it's still going to get you. You know what I mean? Well, that's a different line. That's a line I don't have any problem crossing. But uh, no, but 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 when when you say you know, it's like when Ginger Baker would do like forty-five minutes all of a sudden. I'm just here to entertain the people. Um, But (laughs) no, you're not. That's not why you're here, Ginger. Um, At all. So I just I just like playing the drums. All right, listen. Here's the thing. You start this, but I'm really interested in what you just said, because you're so not full of shit, but like Carlin, you start by saying these are just jokes. You also, though, talk about your mother. You talk about polio. You talk about very, very real shit. And it's funny as hell. But more than I've, I think I've seen all the specials you've done. I've, you know, I've read the books, the whole thing. We've met before. We have a good friend in yeah. common, all that stuff. I don't think you're just in it to entertain. And I think that you were trying to, and accomplished really saying something. Because I, I think it's more interesting if packaging the craft, I think the craft, right, is actually being able to say the things and then making sure it's it goes down in a package that people can sort of like digest. I mean, is that really what you're talking about? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that it's, it, you can't, I mean, there, but it is that, uh, maybe that I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is, is that, you know, part of the deal when you say you're a comic and you're showing up in front of them, you got to at least say, I'm going to try to play by the rules. I'm going to try that. I may freak you out, but I'm going to, cause I'll find myself even now, especially when I'm first start. It's, it, it's the same thing as doing a rough draft. Anybody who writes, you kind of start writing stuff and, and 80% yes. of it is dog shit. And you got to go, bup, 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 bup. But and so when I'm, I'm just going back on the road again now and I'm and I'm starting to come up with the new special and I go uh, and I find myself going and I, I recently just did about three minutes of stuff that just was not not, not offensive, just awful. It was not funny. It was I couldn't yes. find the joke. Yes. I'm marching around in a circle trying to come up with something that nailed this and I can't. And uh, and then I just said to them. You know, I I just want to uh, this. I'm not, you're never going to hear that. That that won't be ever heard. No other audience will ever hear it. I'm sorry you had to hear it, but you just got to be conscious in front of them, and I think that's the word. Yes, right. That that that. that that makes sense. But this seemed like a real high wire. So I thought it's something else too, which is one of my favorite Lewis Black things. It's a story someone told about you. My daughter's a stand-up. She's been doing it just a little while, but she's. And I've watched her friend, you know, she does 10, 12, 14 sets a week. Like she's committed. And uh, yeah, she's 23, really, really fucking committed to it. But one of her friends was saying to her, was at home and at our house and and was telling her, I really think you have like 14 minutes that are really strong. And the person left. And I said, Louis Black would say you had two. If you're right, if you think. (laughs) Well, like what's that formula? You've I've heard you. What is it? If you say you think you have ten, you have yeah. You're lucky if you got three. You know, it's every. It's all. You know, and especially me. There's other comics I know that that might have eight, but generally my ten is three. Ten is three. That's what I was really heard your voice like. You do not have fourteen. I promise. You do not have fourteen minutes. Like you can't have fourteen minutes. But the form. 
because this is such a high wire act, how much time, and yes, um, your pattern, your, your rhythm of speech is the same as in other specials. But I did feel the high wire thing, man. I felt the Walenda thing, like, that it felt to me, and I could be wrong, and it, it just felt that it was so important to communicate what you were trying to say about our shared responsibility to one another and empathy, that it was so important to you to try to, like, lay out the case for empathy, that you thought a lot about how to sneak it in and the form that this piece was going to take, where it would start and where it would end and the narrative journey. And I, I know you find your bits by talking on stage, but what's the process of then because you, one does come away with this tremendous sense of, you know, the way you talk about being a target and for COVID and the questions you ask about the mask, what one's left with is like, if we're in this together, if we're human beings, we have to find a way to have empathy or we're not human beings. And that's really hard to pull off in a comedy special. So how much did you think about the, the narrative? And I guess, how much do you think about theme? Do you think about theme like that? Or do you just trust it'll be there? I, I, I trust if you tell a story, uh, it will be there. And that's, I always attack it from the telling, telling a story that every special I've ever done is, uh, even if it doesn't, if, if you ask me, I can tell you what the story is that I'm telling, even though it may not look like it. This one definitely is a story. And what makes this one, um, I mean, that, uh, and I, and what, and, and I, I really thank you for what you said, because as uh, about, about what, what's underlying it, because it's not, it really wasn't the, you know, it's, it's about my reaction to the pandemic, but what I would, and that, and the people will go, oh, well, you know, this, and I was thinking about this. People say, well, you know, that we, we're over that. And I kept thinking, no, we're not over it. We're, A, we're not over it. But B, it's, it's what's, it's the idea of empathy is really what this is, what I'm trying to get across. That's, it's what's underneath it that is, that holds true, that the story itself is past. Yes, in terms of that happened and da 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 da. But really, what I'm trying to say is, this is this is what we learned from it. This is what I learned from it. This is what, you know, that thing at the end when I talk about my audience and, and being able to speak to them. I mean, I, and, and that was a lot of the driving force of what occurred. It's the fastest I've ever written a special. Every right. special has taken me two years, three years. You know, this uh, this I came out uh, and it was done within eight months. That's amazing from the time I kind of came out of, uh, you know, came out and went out and hit the road. I mean, eight months a year. Because, you know, in a way, even the way it seems to me you were expressing our collective reaction to Fauci. Uh, and there's a lot of funny jokes in there. And, you know, again, I don't want to kill punchlines, but like, you know, the question of, of uh, the, the conspiracy theories that would talk about him being enriched and everything. And, you know, your simple answer to that was the greatest. I mean, I just howled yeah. at it. But um, but you turn the lens on yourself and, it, and, and it, you kind of throw these lines away, right? But it also feels like that moment when you're talking about blown relationships, the choice not to have kids, uh, your friends checking in on you, but everyone living different lives and different, all that stuff. It felt like you were also turning it on yourself in that uh, your, your own capacity to have empathy has to grow and continue to be nurtured. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's empathy with yourself. Oh, yeah. Really. I mean, that's the real one because you're all every I don't care who was locked up. You, you know, you may have gotten if you know, if, if you're lucky, you got closer to your family, you know, but, you know. They, that kind of, you know, whether we were locked up with people or not, you were still in a form of solitary because you weren't living your normal life. You weren't going out. You there were not. You weren't bouncing off things that kept your brain off of you. <laughs> because, because the one, you know, for all of it, one of the, you know, everything out there is a distraction. You know, that was like when. When sports came back, everybody's like, oh, sports, look, you know, well, fucking sports, you know, that was like, that's like lithium, you fucking idiots. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. No, of course. Of course. 100%. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've already figured out how you're going to sneak, even while you're promoting this, and watch enough Masters over the next four days. I mean, I... Well, exactly. I'm glad we're doing it today. <laughs> right. I'm saying I'm already planning how I'm going to figure out how I can... Oh, what's it going to be like when Cam Smith is on the tee with... You know, I'm completely interested in it. My friend uh, Kathleen Madigan, who's a very funny yes. comic, she's she. I've been down there with her, and then they go. She goes every year now, and she said they were really excited about going down this year. They're at the practice round today, and I can't wait. She said I can't wait to watch how these guys interact. You know, now we're beyond golf. You know, now now we're beyond in the interpersonal because otherwise there's nothing going on. There's no the dynamic of a golf course. When it comes to personalities, I mean, look, it's minimal, but now it's pretty. Uh, oh, no, now it's incredible. Know. And that plays. Yeah. I mean, wait, wait, this is an offline. We'll let's have we can have because I could get lost in this. Like I cup, I got I know, a, a couple years ago <laughs> as Sports Illustrated. You brought it up. <laughs> but a couple years ago, Sports Illustrated asked me if I wanted to go down there and cover it for a few days just because. And I did it and it was, I'll show, I'll send you what I, I'll send Willie to send you what I wrote. Uh, you'll, because standing at that tree and watching that collection of people is a pretty in, um, amazing thing. And yeah, it, I'd love to read what you wrote. Yeah, that'd a, be great. You know, as an, as an atheist Jew standing there and watching that cultural thing and loving it and hating it at the same time. Well, it's like a Lewis Black special because all the, yeah. well, you feel, I mean, you just feel everything. Here's the thing. Despondence is often a, th a theme of, of yours. And it's hit it's hit hard here, but I... So not with the veil necessarily of so much craft, but, you know, that moment in the special... So I had a good... And it's funny, when you talked about those people had the good pandemic, like, I was really lucky. I had a great... For me, like, it was a... Gr I really... Because I was in the middle of making the show for so long, and so getting just that minute yeah. to be with family, to play my guitar write songs, be in a head that was not related to that. It was, I was okay. But I've had those moments of like utter death. And, and the beginning was terrifying. But man, how do you like stop yourself from wallowing in that despondence? What, especially when you're alone, as you said, you, you know, you call your friends, you have a three second conversation. But I would imagine for you in the normal course of your life, getting up on stage is the release from that despondence for a period of time and the endorphins and the adrenaline. So like, yeah, what did you do when you couldn't perform? How did you manage that feeling? It was, it was not easy. I finally, when I can, one way I could, I did it was eventually, um, I, you know, I had a tour bus. I was really lucky. My break, I didn't have a family, I had a tour bus. And so I had friends who were in uh, pods, you know, as yes. we, and so I could visit them. So my, I went and see, saw my friend Kathleen and some other friends, and I could go there because none of us had seen anybody else, and we had, were fine. And then, um, and then I, I literally did a routing where I went from you know one friend, one friend I hadn't seen since high school, a musician I know, and uh, and he and I, well, not since I'd seen him since high school, but we had not been together in about ten for ten years, and. Uh, and so he had moved to a new place in, in North Carolina. I got down there. For, he and I got to spend, you know, like a week, a week together. And that was extraordinary. You know, so that really was massive. So I got to, you know, it wasn't just, it wasn't just about this anymore and being in this, this room that I was in. And then that helped. And the other thing was when I started doing uh, my, um, my tour manager, Ben Brewer said, you know, you ought to do a, We've got all these rants. I do those. I read these rants after my show, right. um, and I and when I when I do a live show, I do I read what the the rants audience members wrote, and I've been doing it for years, and it was being transmitted live throughout the, throughout the world, and uh, and so I thought. So he said, you know, we ought to do. No one's, you know, there are people only hear them that night or for a few days oh, after. Yeah. We got a ton of this stuff we'll package those and you'll go on. And, and I didn't really, I had really, I would talk about stuff, but without the audience, it's like, I got no backboard. So I'm kind of like, it's like, um, 
I'm sitting. It's like a bad cable access show is what I kept saying. You know, I mean, you're in the cable access room right now. And so I would. But what really helped was is that I also started reading rants that people had written in since, you know, since the pandemic and reading theirs. And I could and that allowed me to get out because without I can read a rant without an I know where the funny is in a rant. Of course. Somebody sends me a rant. I'm going to make it funny because you're essentially right in what it is that I do as a, as a performer. And so that would organize your day. And once you had something organized, I have to do this and I had to prepare for it. I wonder, because I don't think you spoke about this exactly, but, but did, your, did your thoughts about work and the role of work evolve at all during this period of time? I don't know, because it was really, um, it was, it was, well, I did in the sense that, I mean, I was, I, quite, I understood something I hadn't before, and I, I, I don't even remember if I said it in the special, but I say it since then, and that they, the, uh, that I had really, my, my audience was my primary, the, talking to them was my primary relationship. Yes. And that is what really struck me, that some people, you know, you know have a, get it, you know, that was like I was in a trial separation. Right. From my... Uh, from my uh, from my spouse, who's who's this multi-headed group that shows up? But say a little bit more about the identity, th- because that is a theme throughout the whole special. You know, don't when you you don't want people to talk. Be, uh, the, the line about I don't want to kill it again, but there's a line about what the appropriate rebuke is, and then. Yeah. And it's really a great microcosm of uh, it, it's a, a great sort of if someone wants to understand what it is that you do, that three minutes of explaining that. And then, you know, the punchline on the other side of it, the sort of highbrow and lowbrow intersection <laughs> is like an incredibly great moment. And it struck me because it seemed like really uh, put on its feet, like what it is, the, the thing that, that, that you that you do. Um but just say a little bit more about what you figured out about the edges of how people were pushed. Because as I say, I don't think it was casual when you said the thing that you got to give Trump credit for the speed of the vaccine. You kind of throw it away, making a different point, but you do yeah. say it. And I have to think that was a real choice that you made to say that, yeah. knowing all your work. So talk a little yeah. bit about why you wanted to say it and what you were trying to get at in pointing that out well just that you know it's just in part it was that and uh, it's that you know it, that he had um he had developed it that fast so that the people who were out there who then decided they weren't gonna they're the ones yelling yes that it happened too fast so to, in order to do it and in part it was a, it was a double edge because it's also telling the people out there uh, you know, okay, so you don't like him, but you know he got it done really quick, and you you can't knock that. You can, you know, for all for all the rest of it, he got that right, you know, and and that was. But for the other side, it was. I, as a result, I thought these people were going to buy into this. So to me, it was also about me, right? Because I'm going. It was the slate hand of like he's he's going. You know. I, Look, it's a, what, what's your card? I go, you know, he, and he guessed an ace of clubs. How did he know it was an ace of clubs? <laughs> Son of a bitch. Well, yes, and no, now that's I'm- amazing. But like here, okay, if this is too eggheaded and like whatever, that's fine. But <laughs> but I what I also thought was happening in that moment, and again, it's about empathy, is that it does feel like we're in a very Manichaean sort of a moment where uh, we've just decided anyone who thinks uh, differently than me is evil and bad. And, and that, that means uh, it vitiates anything the other side, anyone on the other side has accomplished. And yes, you were making the point that he's an idiot. You and I agree on that and should be reviled and is evil. We Yet, packed in that was, well, I'm not going to be Manichaean. I'm not going to say that nothing good is on the other side of that. He happened to produce this. These idiots won't take the vaccine that their king produced, but I can't. Their king did produce the fucking vaccine, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. that was it. Yeah, 
and then I couldn't, uh, uh, you know, and uh, it was like, uh, and it was also hundreds of, you know, of like, you know, you, 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 it's like they don't accept anything. It's just unbelievable that, uh, that it was like the joke in part that I did before that, which is the, uh, uh, it, which is kind of comes from the fact that uh, the, 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 uh, when I would be talking to the audience and that there were people in the audience who before the election who really loved him. And I said, I said, you know, um, you know, you know that nine out of 10 New Yorkers don't like him. There's only 10% of us that like him and we've lived with him and we've lived with him a long time and that you people, uh, you know, that we're the ones and now he's going to be in your face all the time. But the thing is, is that, you know, that the nine out of 10 and then that, uh, that, you know, and then, and then, uh, and you think, and what you really think in your heart of heart hearts is, is that New Yorkers are assholes, you know, that, uh, so that what do we know? And then you go ahead and you're going to vote for a New Yorker and you're voting for the biggest asshole that we've ever, ever of all of us ever. He is the quintessential. He's New Yorker through and through New York. It's like if, if they genetically came up with the perfect New Yorker, you know, that's just horrible. That's a horrible (laughs) realization, by the way, I'm miserable about that, but it's totally true. but it's true of all of the things that we are, you know, all of the bombast, all of the nonsense, all of the bullshit that a New Yorker is. He took it to the pinnacle. Now, that what a great New Yorker is, is something else entirely. But whatever, however you could, whatever the word is. He's that, the that, negative, that, by the way. You know, he's the picture negative of Lou Reed. <laughs> if you think about it that's yeah. also by the way you know a genius but also a total fucking asshole so yes, like yeah. the greatest genius ever but so both that's yeah. what they have in common <laughs> the, the, yeah. the knee plu ultra well, of new yorkers true. they have total asshole in common the knee plu ultra of yeah. new yorkers that they're on uh the flip side of and both tried really pathetic things with their hair too sadly yeah. i mean horribly What do you attribute the, like the universal revilement of Fauci? Because even like friends who are on uh, our side of the political spectrum are like down on Fauci a lot of the time. And I agree with you. I thought your take was fucking brilliant, man, uh, about what a miserable job and impossible job and somehow steer. Like, like, do we need a godhead to hate? I mean, is that just that we just need a, uh, something to hate? Well, no, I mean, it's just that thing that it's the thing you go through it. I go through it. They, uh, you know, you, you write something, they go, boy, this guy is the best. I have never read anything like it. That, that Brian compliment, you know, we got years ahead of like a brilliant mind and I, I can't wait to see what his next thing is. And you write the next thing. What a, what an asshole. You know, <laughs> so true. I kind of knew that he blew himself out in the first one who could top that you know and now he's just made a mess it's like they just it's that thing you know it's uh and it and a lot of it has to do with uh and all of it has to do they're less for those guys because they're scientists and they're held to a higher standard but for us you know you write something and you or you perform something and then you do something else and then you do the next you know you do one special then you do another special another special well, the fact is, is that if it weren't for the first, the second special, um, the, the, you know, the, and whatever was right and wrong in it, the third special wouldn't have been better. You know, it's, you know, that that's the only way we learn. You know that one. I mean, especially when it comes to writing. I, I did a play of uh, this. Audience. They'll be turning now. There are hundreds of turning off. Of oh, yeah. You mentioned the oh, we're talking about the plays. Where, yeah, let's do yeah. it. Oh, you were in a basement. Yeah, were you no, in a basement? Oh, you were in a basement. but 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 i did i did uh, but when i'd been writing a you know place for a long time i'd gotten but i was also starting to be known as a performer and and chris durang uh and uh and 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 the harvard the the rep up at uh, the american repertory theater at harvard now a thousand more turning off uh did a production of a media amok which is a play at chris's 
and uh, and I did that play, and it was and it, it had its moments, but it just wasn't as sharp as his other work had been, and it it, it didn't it's it, but it was like it was almost like vaudeville sketches that didn't have a proper through line, right? And then and then and then he wrote it something else, and then uh, he came back and uh, a, a number of years later and wrote a thing called Baby with the Bathwater, which is just a terrific play. And, uh, and, and all of the stuff that he had fucked up in the, in, in our production came to fruition in that he figured out what the story was and how to tell it. And, and, uh, cause, and, but I, and this is the thing they had been like a wonderkin and they really loved him. Now I'm appearing in this production and on the front page of the fucking Boston art section, not as a 90% of the time, there's a picture of a cast. There's a picture of the playwright. And they're just here. Chris Durang has let us all down. We are so dis- disappointed. It's really literally like he he came in here and pissed on our feet. You know, he was like uh, unbelievable. The first paragraph was unbelievable. And that's the Fauci thing that people had to, because that's what to wrap it around. Yes. It's your answer to why we had the need to at first say he's going to be our savior, just culturally. And then when it didn't end, we needed to say this motherfucker. And and yeah. it wouldn't have mattered who was in that spot, is what you, I no, think. No, I don't care who they had. And they could be, you know, and, and nobody could have pulled it off. You know, you're going to come out and say, what, I got more bad news? Okay, so how do you keep yourself, there's a question, right, with this. Uh, because you're able to track this stuff and talk about it culturally. Because we all watched... I mean, we all watched that show. It should have been what you said. I forget what the animal that you said should have come out and done it. But um, <laughs> when we all watched that show, uh, every you know the, the press conferences, I mean, there were definitely times when all of us got pissed at Deborah. We decided she was a villain. Then we decided yeah. she wasn't a villain. Do you take that ride too, man, and then just realize you were taking the ride and snap yourself out of it? Or are you able to be at a remove and not take the ride also? Because to me, it's always morning announcements. It's all, we're always in high school. Right. They come on. Yes. When they said, of course, the shit on everybody, no matter what. Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. Yes. You know, it's, and then she comes out and what do they got to talk? And the, the thing is, is like, you know, they, and that's when I know I'm not totally like LinkedIn, you know, kind of a, a, in, involved in it is, is that they're going her, her scarves. Oh my and God. That's what they start talking. You know, that, that, and I was going, what? Right. And then I noticed the scarves. Yeah. It's like, what do, I give, what do you give a shit about her scarves, you fucking idiots? Yeah. This is like, maybe she's cold. About a vaccine. Maybe she's cold. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's possible. Well, this is interesting too, you know, because the other thing that happens now in our culture now, and I'm a little bit younger than, I'm 57, so I'm a little younger than you, but I was thinking about this seeing Springsteen the other night, um, which is what made me think of this comparison too. And he's played a couple songs from the second album. And I, and I was like, he would have been, you know, which I love. But that guy would be dropped now. Like the pressure on artists to be great right out of the box or to connect right out of the box. Forget long-term really being great, but to connect, to do something out of the box, to succeed. Uh, the pressure to immediately put yourself online if you're a comedian. Do you think that that, like, um, I, I saw the other day Taylor Tomlinson said it was great. She was like, don't put yourself online for three years after doing, co- like, wait. And uh, I wonder if that, we have such a snap to judgment, everything in our faces. Like, you know, you were 40. Uh, you were a playwright. You started performing. It was a slow burn. I'm sure at times that was frustrating. But do you think there are benefits of that slow burn as far as nurturing art and artists? I do. I think that um, I think the I think what it gets you that you learn from that there's that you know it's there's no easy road when it comes to this stuff. You know, if you're going to do the one thing I from the very beginning when I started doing theater and uh, uh, and and what I I was that nobody was going to pay me to do this. There was nobody was going to pay me, you know, and so. I had I knew from the very beginning the only way to get it done was to do it and to do it as cheaply as possible and and to try to make it as you know in a in a way in which uh you could beat the system because all the money you know you had to have a set you had to have this you had to have that and that you had to really find a you know a, a, a you know in it 
you, you know, it's it's tough enough getting it up, let alone finding your voice. Voice is the yes, man. That's what takes the time. That, that's what takes the time. And you can tell your daughter, which you probably already told her, you know, the hardest thing is, you know, that people uh, is that is is that's the toughest, you know, is, is being able to. What's the voice you're speaking in when you're funny? Who is that? Because because uh, I found myself I was wearing leather jackets. I mean, way back before I was wearing leather jackets and really doing my stand up. But I was going through outfits like maybe this will do it. Maybe that'll do it. And uh, I I just didn't couldn't find the voice. And also because I wasn't doing what she was doing, which was working you know, 14 shows a week, which is tremendous, which you got to do that. But then it's also, you got to be able to, uh, it's that, it, it, that ability to realize that part of that voice that you're going to be using it, it, it is, is, is your, um, comes from a vulnerable space in you, because if you, if they're not laughing, they're not laughing at you. Oh yeah. And yeah. it is really hard. It's your ego. That's where your ego gets blasted is is there and then also you can, and you can <laughs> tell her this is is that uh or anybody out there who wants to be a comic the the way in which you learn comedy which makes it so brutal uh is that it's like if you learn boxing by having your uh, arms tied together and somebody just you're fighting this fighting <laughs> another person which is the audience and they're just punching <laughs> you in the face and the whole time you're thinking Boy, you know, if I could get my left arm free, I could really do some, I could get something done. And I need to do the right arm. And, and eventually you break out of that and you're able to do it. But that's really what it's about, uh, I think, in terms of the learning curve. And you just, you take your lumps and that's it because you can't, you got no, there's nothing, you don't know where it's coming from. And, that, uh, and, the, and all those people, uh, you can also tell all those people, uh, who fucking, you know, I could do that bullshit. The, the amount, the, the space between the three feet, it, it, the, the person who's really funny sitting around the table at, let's say a comedy club, uh, in, in the front row, who's really funny there, the three feet it takes that person to get on stage is, is 12 miles. It's an incredible you know? thing. No, I mean, uh, I, I've, I did it for a year and a half. So I, I got yeah. up a lot for a year and a half at a point in my life and voice it just, this is what's so remarkable when I, like I did it long enough that I was able to get over for five minutes, you know, but what I realized, cause I was already had this whole thing going and what I realized was, Oh yeah, you got to devote your entire life to find the real voice. So like I could craft and I, um, I know how to, sp I could do the thing, but I couldn't do the thing. Meaning I could not, be great. I could get over, but I couldn't be great because what it would take to turn myself inside out to be great was a total deconstruction of everything else. And I was like, that's why what you guys, what you do is remarkable uh, to me. So I've seen it, but the time spent in the culture now is so short. It's so hard. Uh, like I was thinking watching Bruce, like his second album, I'm sure you know, was such a departure from his first album. And it's like all this yeah. jazz uh, stuff, weird rhythms, tons of horns kind of overtaking the tracks which in order to find born to run he had yeah. to go through the wild and the innocent and the east street he had to go yeah. there to figure that other thing out and i just when you see your features or openers for you and stuff i wonder if it seems like people have the either internally or externally the ability to spend the time to find it as much now well they're gonna have to so fuck them yeah, if they don't, they're fucked. <laughs> All right, like the last couple things, uh, just to return to empathy, which I'm uh, the other thing, the other, you know, the other, the other key to it is that I that I discovered just since to finish the thought is that um, uh, the what separates those of us who kind of end up doing it is is that we are able to watch ourselves die on stage, and it doesn't phase us. That that's really. Because you stand there and you and it's happened and I've watched it and I've seen it live with really I was in a lineup once with Attell and Ray Romano and this is when all of us were and me and there was somebody and we were all in our you know it, we're you know we were all known and stuff and every one of us died and yet every one of us stood there and it was you could see it's like oh they didn't get that but wait I got one coming up that's really going to get them back 
die, die, die. And that's what happens when you're, when you're breaking in. You're going to stand there and you drop dead, you drop dead, you drop dead. And then your head, you're going, nope, I got this other thing. I haven't tried this. This will really bring them around. And it just gets worse. The hole gets bigger. And you, you dig your own hole and you throw yourself in it and go, I'll come back tomorrow. Yeah, you just take the punches. 100% makes, I mean, you know, I was, yeah. I was doing open mics with Dan Soder and who's on my show and everything, our show. Uh, but we did open yeah. mics together and I just watched Dan ref- refuse until he's now one of the most fan. you know, he's amazing. But like I watched him beef and just be in a club with six people and just get hammered on and shot, on, you know, and just go right to the next show. Like just determined, you know, it was an amazing thing to, to witness. So empathy, though, for a second, to return to what we said was the theme of the show, secretly. I guess I was surprised by one thing, which is uh, Lewis Black, in his books and in his work, clearly understood the callousness that fellow man has the capacity to show to his, her fellow man, right? And yet. Talk a little bit about why this, in particular, (laughs) when you found yourself vulnerable... It almost feels like watching this special, like you rediscovered that, in fact, that thing was born from a kind of selfishness that was worse than you anticipated. (laughs) Because you seem surprised and new, and yet you've always known it was a callous fucking world. You talk about it. So talk about that a little bit. I did, but, you know, the thing that I've always thought, you know, people say, boy, you... uh, you know, you really, uh, you're angry, you know, you, you know, you're really, uh, you know, how can you, how can you, uh, you know, I'm, I, I always believed in people. I always thought people, you know, uh, were inherently good. I, I just did, you know, I always thought we could be better. It's why I've always been an optimist. And, and then, and being in lockdown and watching what was going on, I went, Holy fuck. And it's really the thing, because watching <laughs> Carlin, in, in retrospect, I mean, Carlin, yes. I always felt was an optimist. And then it was kind of like, once I went through this, I went, well, not really. <laughs> he really, wow. He had a lot, but, you know, because every so often I'll read something and go, wow. And and I'm good friends with Kelly, his, his uh, yeah. daughter, and, and she'll say something that he said. And I go, Jesus, I have never... I, I mean, I, I, it seems like I'm in a dark place, but I'd never, I didn't get to the dark place until that pandemic, because I really always thought uh, it was, I just, it, you know, I had a, a, a belief that people were going to, you know, that, that we could do it. That, you know, if you kept saying, if we kept kind of going, hey, you know, keep going, we're all going to get yes. there. It's going to work out. You know, nobody can watch this kind of shit. And then I, not only that, what really did it, where did it snap was that we're going to go back and have to live through the shit I lived through in my youth, that we're going to have to go back and now we're going to have to d- go through voting rights again? What planet? But banning books? Are you fucking nuts? We're not doing this again. We did it. I did it already. I don't want to do this again. Yeah, I share every one of these beliefs with you, Amen Choir, fully. But then it seems by the end of the special and also just by the nature of the fact that the thing that you do do you get a sense, a little tiny glimmer of hope, of light, by the fact that the audience is united by the end? By the end of your hour, and I'm sure your hour and a half live, that the, the audience, by staying in it with you, by laughing, by, by taking the ride with you, in a way, they are back accepting each other and the differences. Like, it does feel like that's, the pass you're throwing and it does feel like at least in the special they're catching it i feel like it i mean what what really was amazing was is that there were uh, people out there who were very much because i'm in huntington long island right. and there are people out there's a this you know this red and blue shit we got to stop talking but you know there are people out there who really were very uh you know yeah. much about trump but really i have to say gave me you know didn't step in didn't fuck it up didn't you know and might be a little upset afterwards but we're not 
didn't get crazy. And I felt as a result, it was an accomplishment. But it also <laughs> felt like it was an accomplishment for them. It felt like there was at the end of it, because you aren't jingoistic in it on your, for years and you're not, you're uh, balanced and taking both sides. You know, you call out kind of both sides. It does feel like you're trying to unify. Okay, last thing, totally unrelated to this special. Great. I recently saw a picture of the current day 2023 Vince Gill. And I thought this must bring Lewis a little satisfaction. Yes. And I just wonder if it does. You mean, which I haven't seen the He just looks like a regular person now. Like, does he really? like a dad, like uh, yeah. a regular guy. If you haven't, I just, my it's my fa- basically. I, yeah, it does. It will give me satisfaction. But they, what was amazing was, is he'd gotten in touch after I wrote it wrote that bit and was very just thought it was great he did i wondered that he'd gotten in touch yeah, with you no, yeah they liked it they liked it a lot they liked it i a saw lot. it live and it's it's great online but i saw it live and uh when you did it at, at the beacon theater one night and yeah. um uh on some charity show where you just came out and you, yeah. you did it and it was the same it's, it's among the four or five best pieces i've ever heard in my life and I said this to you last time you were on, but like people, if you don't know Lewis, watch the new special, um, which I'll say the name of one more time for thoroughness. Uh, the new special is Tragically I Need You coming out May 2nd on, on, on YouTube and, and definitely watch that, but also go back to prime yourself for that. Go back and watch his routine about having to perform after Vince Gill and uh, Amy Grant and just Amy Grant. what that experience uh, was, uh, was like for him. Lewis, thanks so much, man. Brian, it's a pleasure. Really, I have to say that made my, you know, that that makes me feel like this. What's said is we started here and now I'm going to have to go through people and they're, you know, so and then you did this and then you, and you're going to do all the punchlines. But you're I, I really appreciate what you had to say about what what I um what I was going after there, because that's what was important to me. Well, thanks, you know? Lewis. And, and yeah, folks, empathy. Uh it's actually just all any of us should be uh, talking about. And uh, folks, you can find Lewis out on the road. You can find me um, somewhere on Instagram or some bullshit like that. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. 